Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode we'll be visiting Nepal, China, the USA, Ireland, Norway and France in Around the World in Six Stories. And this week on The Big Discussion, we are going to talk about gun control. We'll be visiting the USA in Fact or Fiction. And this week in Youth Spotlight, we'll shed some light on a remarkable young woman who has won the prize from Time magazine for the first ever Kid of the Year award. In keeping with the language theme from last week's podcast, this week I learned British Sign Language. And in this week's Language Corner, I will reveal what are the most translated books of all time. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, Julie, where are we visiting this week? Okay, so first we are off to the United States of America, where on the 3rd of November, people in the US voted for who they wanted to be their next president and vice president for the next four years. The contest was won for the Democratic Party by Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris. Now, it's a historic day because now Miss Harris is the most senior woman politician in US history. She is the first woman vice president and the first black and South Asian American to ever take on that job which is fantastic. So she studied law at Harvard University, which is one of America's most famous historically black universities. In 2003, Miss Harris became the district attorney for the city of San Francisco. And then she went on to become California's attorney general, which is the top lawyer and law enforcement official in the state. And she was the first black person to serve in this position. And just so everybody knows, she likes to, to always say that her name is pronounced like Comma la, like the punctuation mark. Comola. 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 So well, I actually think I said it incorrectly throughout, so I should have put that bit at the start, <laughs> but it's comma, it's like comma la, comma com, la. I am taking you to France, and specifically Eastern France on the border of Germany in a place called Alsace, uh, where just last month, a couple went for a walk near their house and they took their dog out for a walk and they weren't expecting to find what they found, but they found a capsule, small capsule containing a military message that dated back to World War I. Mm. Written in German, the message was believed to have been written by a German soldier about military movements during the Great War. And this was very common for a capsule to be wrapped around a pigeon's neck and flown huge distances to share very important uh, military information. And this particular message read, Platoon Potov receives fire as they reach the western border of the parade ground. Platoon Potov takes up fire and retreats after a while. Birds were used extensively during World War I and World War II for carrying messages. And one French pigeon received the military honours, the Croix de Guerre, for delivering messages despite being very badly injured. And at a 95% success rate, that's that's a lot better than British British Mail, 
Royal Mail or any <laughs> any any courier company. That's super cool. Finding something from all those years ago and something probably very important as well. Yeah, a bit of social history. I am going to Nepal, where Nepal and China have announced a new height for the world's tallest mountain, Mount Everest, the very famous Mount Everest. After years of disagreeing on the mountain's height, both sides have measured again and discovered that it's taller than anyone thought. So there's a bit of a history with uh, Mount Everest. So in the mid-1800s, a man called Radhanath Sidkar, an Indian man who worked for George Everest, who obviously the mountain is named after, he calculated the height at exactly 29,000 feet. However, his boss added two feet to the height just because he was afraid that people wouldn't trust the round number. However, 29,000 feet was pretty close because the official survey done in 1955 uh, by, uh, by Indians, again, uh, measured Everest at 29,029 feet. But uh, following a huge earthquake in Nepal in 2015, scientists believe that the earthquake could actually have made it slightly shorter. So last year, uh, just recently, sorry, China and Nepal independently measured the mountain with GPS and all sorts of different scientific uh, tools and agreed the new height at 29,031 feet. That's about two feet taller than the original height. So Mount Everest is now officially taller than it was last year. Things are looking up. (laughs) 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 How... Do you know when it was, did, did you say, sorry, in your story, um, when yeah. it was first measured? So, so yeah, they, in the mid-1800s. Mid yeah, and and would they question just, coming up. How, yeah. would they, how would they do that? Uh, yeah, I've yeah. got pictures of, in my head of a tape measure. Yeah, just <laughs> picking it up where you left it behind you and then putting it again. That's amazing. Yeah. But it's funny, isn't it, that they measured it and they get to the top and, you know, we know how hard these things are to climb. And then he gets the, gets the actual uh, measurement. It's like 29,000 feet. He's like, no, no one's going to believe that. There's no, it's like exactly 29,000 feet. Let's just add two. <laughs> <laughs> An arbitrary two just to, yeah. An arbitrary and two. Who, who, who was Mr. Everest? Was he a mountaineer? So George Everest was a, 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 was a mountaineer and he actually didn't want uh, the mountain named after him. And it's an interesting fact, actually, that uh, Mount Everest is a Western name for the, for the mountain. Mm. So Nepal calls it Sagar Matha and Tibet know it as Kumulangma. So we are off to Ireland now for another time capsule story. It's obviously the, the year of time capsules. Um, So this time capsule is believed to have travelled nearly 4,000 kilometres from the Arctic Circle and it's been found in Guidor, I think I'm pronouncing that right, in County Donegal in Ireland. So it was a a lady called Sophie and a chap called Connor and they were surfers and they found it. So they carefully opened this tube um, and it revealed this time capsule and it was from a crew of Russian North Pole explorers. So inside, inside of the capsule... Um, They found letters, food menus, badges, drink mats, weird, and a collection of photographs. Um, And this was from an ice-breaking ship called The 50 Years of Victory. 
So Sophie and Connor managed to track down one of the people who had written a letter found in the capsule, and this was Russian Instagrammer Sveta. So Sveta told them that the capsule was placed in the Arctic ice and that it must have melted and travelled the massive distance. Um, and she was very shocked to have found it so soon. So most people thought it would have taken 30 to 50 years before people would find it. But it actually turns out this is only from two years ago from a polar expedition. So it just shows how quickly the ice is melting. My next story comes from Norway where a report has been written that says that seaweed is going to become the next superfood. Seaweed, says this report, is the hidden champion of the ocean. Here's some seaweed facts for you. 2% of the whole ocean in the world, all the world's oceans, would have enough protein in them to feed the entire world because seaweed is so rich in protein as it is rich in vitamins, very rich in zinc and iron, two vitamins that are, I suppose, all good. All vitamins are good for you, but this particularly important vitamins. It's low in fat as well, so it's not going to cause any heart problems. But as well as being good for humans, it's also good for feeding animals. So instead of the corn and the soya, which are much more environmentally hazardous to produce, the seaweed wouldn't have any negative environmental impacts. As well as that, on top of being good for you and for good for animals, it can be used in medicines as well. It's a vital ingredient in some medicines. So this report, which was shared with the UN Sustainable Development Fund, is suggesting that seaweed could become the next superfood which can feed us all for the years to come. Uh, let us know if you're a fan of cheap seaweed or whether you think this would be pretty disgusting. I think seaweed is fun. We, we eat a lot of seaweed. Uh, my daughters have snacks of seaweed a lot. And, it, and also, because we live by the ocean, you know, you see the seaweed and I would love to one day actually harvest some and, and, and see if we can do anything with it. But I'm not sure. I think you might need a few more, a bit more knowledge about seaweed of which seaweed is appropriate. I've got a nice story now. I, 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 I like this story. So in Europe, scientists have announced a three year project to collect information about the important smells of Europe from the 1500s to the early 1900s. The project is called Odoropa, and it involves scientists and experts from a wide range of areas, including history, art, language, chemistry, and computer technology. The European Union has given Odoropa $3.3 million to spend over the next three years, researching smells and trying to recreate them. So the people behind the project believe that smell is an important part of history, and one that is often overlooked. The project isn't just collecting information about pleasant scents, though, but all scents, good and bad. This includes smells such as incense or spices, but also things like burning tar or animal poop. So what, what smell would you like to recreate from, uh, from history? Well, for me, it's uh, freshly cut grass. I really love the smell of on a summer's day, some early summer, kind of June, May, June, when the cricket pitches are being cut 
I love that smell of, of, of a freshly cut grass. It takes me back to my childhood. Yeah. Okay, that was Around the World in Six Stories. Julie, what's the big discussion this week? Okay, so on the big discussion this week with our, with our lovely young people, we talked about gun control. Well, I feel like we already invented guns. Like, it would be nice to, we could go back in time and we've never done it, but now we have. So people will always get them. But I feel like it should be a lot stricter on who should get them and how you get them. Like, at least in Europe, it's pretty strict. But if you look at America, it's like anyone can get my, and I feel like that's insane. And like humans should know better than allowing anyone to do, to just get a gun. Yeah, I I have an American friend and he's had a gun since he was like seven when he lived in America. Well, it's not his, but he started letting fire it in the yards. But he lived in South Carolina, I think. And that was their culture, really. So it's something they were grown up to know about. But yeah, I think they're just well policemen and stuff like that, not for like normal people. Fact or fiction? So this week, the country we are visiting is the USA. The national flag of the USA has 12 stripes and 51 white stars on a blue background. I'm going to say fiction. I'm also going to say fiction. What's your reason, Mike? Well, there's not much conviction. I think <laughs> I think that the number 13 rings a bell. I think there are 13 stripes and 51. Something to do with Puerto Rico being added or deducted. This is a rubbish answer. I just know. <laughs> so you, just so you don't know, yeah? I don't know. <laughs> I think there's 52. I think that's my, yeah. Okay, so... Let's do this in two stages. Stage one, you're both correct. But as Judy (laughs) likes to have double bonus points. Okay, so I'm going to give the answer. 13 stripes and 50 white stars. What do they mean? So the 50 white stars are the states. Yeah. I concur. (laughs) And the 12? No, 13. 13 even? Yeah, what are they? Amendments? Oh. No, so they're the 13 British colon- uh, colonies that declared independence from Great Britain in 1776. So they're also, the original British colonies, yeah. If anybody's not seen the amazing um, show Hamilton, very good for brushing up on your um, history about the American independence and also just phenomenal in every, every way, so. The population of the USA is 230 million. Fiction. Higher or lower? I have in my mind it's 600,000 and I have no idea why. That's quite, I think it's more than 600,000. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what was the number you said? So I get my millions right? 230 million. I think it's 600 million. Something to do with the six. I'm going to say fiction and it's something to do with the number six <laughs> uh 
I don't feel like you should get this right <laughs> because it is it is it is fiction, but it is three hundred and thirty million. So you're actually further from the answer than Mike is, but three plus That's... three is six. Mike was a hundred million out. You were <laughs> you were three hundred million out. Oh. I'm taking that as a hit. That's we can't give that to Julie. Surely that, I that, that, that is that the, the, the game. The game is just fact or fiction. In the interest of fairness, there's there's, there's no answers. Oh. <laughs> I'll take that. So, so Julie, Julie somehow gets it. <laughs> Right, Sorry, I'm not going to give any explanation now to why I think... We'll do it after. We'll do it after. Yeah. Okay. The longest river in the USA is the Mississippi. Um, fiction. Fact. Fiction. So, my, uh, so Judy, where, which do you think is the uh, longest? No, river? we're going to do that after. <laughs> 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 that was so your laugh, Sam. No, nothing. No, I'll tell you after. Okay. No, you won't because, because <laughs> I'm going to tell you the answer. You are right. Uh, it is fiction. Uh, the answer is the Missouri River. Took the words right out of my mouth. 3,767 kilometers long. I, I admittedly was just playing the opposites game there, but uh, again, I'm going to take it because the game is fact or fiction. <laughs> Christopher Columbus arrived on the continent of North America in 1592. I'm going to say fact because I feel like I haven't gone with fact yet. Fiction, that's 100 years too late. <laughs> so... We'll make up for the fact that I lost it by 100. Uh, the population was a difference of 100 million. 1492, Cristobal Colon, a.k.a. Christopher Columbus, landed in America. Look, I'm going Good. for bonus points. Good knowledge, Mike. Good knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Columbus. Uh, the European colonization started in 1492 with the arrival of explorer Christopher Columbus, the first permanent settlement of the British in America, Jamestown, in the colony of Virginia, and that dates back to 1607. The first president of the United States was Abraham Lincoln. Well, if you've watched Hamilton, you should know. <laughs> ah. So I haven't watched Hamilton. So okay. what should let, I know? Let, 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 Mike, your, let Mike answer then. Your let turn Mike first, answer. I think, Mike. Yeah, let Mike answer. Um, I'm going to go with fiction. I hope I've got this right. I'm also going for fiction. Do you want to tell me who, shall I say who I think it was? Well, let's see if Mike knows who it was. Oh, uh, okay. For the bonus point. <laughs> Lafayette. Good guess. George Washington. Well, good guess apart from it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he, was a, he was a player. <laughs> George Washington is the correct answer. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, are you giving Julie bonus points for this? I'm giving, her, right? I'm giving her the win this week, Mike, I'm afraid. <laughs> Lick my wounds. <laughs> <laughs> so in this week's Youth Spotlight, we focus on a remarkable young girl called Jitanjali Rao. 
while most teenagers are still find, trying to find their passion and their purpose in life, Jitanjali has already found hers. At 15 years old, she's just won the well-known publication Time Magazine's first ever Kid of the Year Award. Jitanjali came up with two important inventions, the first of which was a device that detects the poisonous chemical lead, which is sometimes found in uh, water supplies. And this was something that she read about in, uh, as, as a 10-year-old in a town in America called Flint in Michigan, which had lead in the water supply, which was coming out of people's houses in this horrible, disgusting color and causing lots of illnesses. So she came up with a device that detects, that attaches to a cell phone and informs the resident via an app if their drinking water contains traces of the harmful metal. More recently, she's come up with an app called Kindly, which helps prevent cyberbullying, bullying even. You, the idea behind this app is to uh, stop people when they're at the point of typing in a message to their friends and they can see if the word could be perceived as, as bullying or not. While not working on improving the world, Rao likes to bake, play the piano and mentor youngsters in STEM subjects. Her, advi her advice to aspiring entrepreneurs is, if I can do it, you can do it and anyone can do it. And is this app uh, available um, worldwide or is it just an American? I'm not sure, mm, not sure where the app is available. But uh, I think if it gives youngsters pause for thought, that's got to be a good thing. It's very humbling, isn't it? These young It is very humbling. I mean, there, is, there is an element at which if you're listening to that and you think, I'm not doing anything with my day, Chances are you are, but not everybody has to be world beaters and revolutionizing everything. We all play a small part, I think, in, in getting up out of bed in the morning and going to school or whatever you're doing. So it doesn't have to be, I think these things can, you hear these achievements and you go, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. But uh, I think uh, if you feel inspired by that, that's already a good, a good, uh, good start. Julie, what have you learned this week? Okay, so this week I enlisted the help of my sister-in-law, who is in her first year of university, and she is studying primary teaching with a specialism in inclusive practice. So she sat down with me on Zoom, uh, bless her, and taught me some sign language. So interestingly, um, she's not being taught sign language at university while she was at school. Um, she found classes local to her, um, and just, I think it was called a, a BSL cafe, British Sign Language Cafe, and they would, they would just sign together at this cafe. Um, and she's now off her own back doing a, an, online, an online course. So it's a level one in BSL. So interestingly, it's called British Sign Language because it's used in Britain. So you wouldn't actually be able to speak to somebody. Um, it's a different language if you go to another country. So it's like uh, other languages in that respect. Um, also, what's quite interesting, so obviously we can understand people in America and Canada because they speak English, but if we um, go to America or Canada, it will be a different, a different sign language, which is, is really fascinating. 
There's also actually regional changes as well. So throughout the UK, there'll be slightly different signs that you would use depending on where you are. So um, maybe from Glasgow to Edinburgh to London to Manchester, there would be just slight, slight differences. Um, so we started off by greetings, which was probably a good place to start. Things like, um, hello, my name is, and good morning and good night. Uh, and then I started to learn how to use, how to sign my name. So it was, they use finger spelling. And this is actually a really good place to start is probably to learn the alphabet because if you don't remember um, words, you can, you can just simply spell something out. And something that's really important to remember is you've got to mouth the words as, you, as you're signing them because a lot of people will be um, lip reading. So you wouldn't do something like, you, you wouldn't, if I was spelling, finger spelling my name, I wouldn't do J-U-L-I-E. I would say it, I would say Julie as I was, as I was um, finger spelling. Um, and, you know, as with any other languages, people are, are always really pleasantly surprised when you can say a few words in their language. So it's really, I really implore you, it's really worth learning a few basic um, signs, um, of course, and uh, you know, wherever you are, it's going to be different, but a few basic signs that you can do um, because it really would go a long way to, to, to a deaf or, or hard of hearing person. Now, I, I think it's one of those things that as a, as a life skill, I would put it up there with, with something that's very important. This week on Language Corner, I asked you the question, if you were stopped by someone in the street and asked, what are the most translated books in history? What would your answer be? The Bible has been translated into 2,800 languages. And number two and three on that list is also to do with religion and specifically the Christianity with books about God. And uh, I thought that what was interesting was that number three number four, sorry, on the list, is the UN Declaration of Human Rights, which obviously affects everybody in the world. And that's been translated into over 500 languages. The highest fiction <laughs> translated <laughs> books is uh, Pinocchio. Pinocchio has been translated really? more times than any other novel in the world. Uh, and then up there with that is The Little Prince, which is a French book, Alice in Wonderland, and the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. So all these books that have reached all these people, different people around the world in, 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 the, in the myriad of different languages that there are spoken on the planet. It's amazing. Okay. The spelling bee. Oh, the spelling bee. So we have our self-proclaimed worst speller in the world, Julie, who we're learning that she isn't as bad as she says she is because she's been doing pretty well recently. Yeah. Uh, against our language guru, Mike. So these are three words that we have uh, covered in today's podcast. And the first word is odor. I don't think I've ever written that word down or typed it in my life, which is interesting odor what do perfume bottles say do they say do they say odor <laughs> okay o d no o d o u r odor o d o u r <laughs> oh dear you've you've gone with your gut you've gone with your hunch you've gone with with what you thought was right and you are right that that is how you spell odor this the uh, i was 
thinking you were going to go without the U, but you said there was a niggling thought that there was a U in, and you're right, there's an U, O-D-O-U-R. Correct. Thank you, Mike, for teaching me to trust my guts. <laughs> okay. We should, we should have some uh, quality answers here because you do think you know this already. Mississippi. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Mississippi. Mike? I don't know. So <laughs> I, I have no idea how to spell Mississippi. I know that there, there's a, it's a common one to have in a spelling strategy because you can include the word sip in it. It can include smaller words within the bigger word, which is a very good strategy to learn how to spell. But I've not learned that one. So I don't know. I, Can you give it a go? Uh, and you can't just say the same as Julie. You can't just no. say what she said. You have to spell it out for me, please. M-I-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Okay. Julie, you've got one up on Mike this week. The right spelling is M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. How do I know it in that song? What's that? What's that? Mrs. M, Mrs. I, Mrs. S-S-I, Mrs. S-S-S-I, Mrs. P-P-I. Exactly. That's what I know it from. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Very good. Oh, wow. Wiping the sweat from my brow. Right. And then the final one. If you get this right, Julie, you've won this week. The final one, it's come up a few times where I butted in and I shouldn't have done, was to a rhetorical question. Good luck, Rachel. Good luck, Jules. I feel like there's, when I'm thinking of rhetoric. No sledging, no sledging, please, Mike. (laughs) Rhetorical. There's an H in there that I'm going to miss. I'm going to put that out ahead of time. I'm trying to gauge by Mike's face if that's correct or incorrect. <laughs> um, rhetorical. Yes. Rhetorical. Re- re- no, it comes to the word rhetoric, surely. So RH. I'm going to go RH just straight off the bat. ET, RET, or O R I C O L. No, CAL. A L. Sorry, good luck with that, Sab. <laughs> <laughs> so R H E T Ret O R I C A L Maybe. Okay, Mike. Did Santa bring Julia a Christmas spelling gift book? How to spell? Because <laughs> this is just so unfair. I have to just say, well done, you got it right. <laughs> three out of three, Julie. Yeah. Correct. Oh, I'm really chuffed with that. Yeah, well done. They were Ooh, they were three tough words. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I feel awesome. Sorry, Mike. Um, but thank you for teaching me to t- trust your gut, guys. Always trust your gut. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> okay, that was the Learn and Experience podcast. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Sam. Goodbye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. To find out more of what we do, go to our website, learnandexperience.com, 
our social media outlets, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Thank you, everybody. 